Hey everyone, this is Steven. Just wanted to do some quick table setting for this episode. We recorded this in the offseason before we really knew if there would be a 2020 WNBA season before players like Shanae Gumake, who features prominently in this episode and others, announced they would miss the 2020 WNBA season before Bria Hartley's breakout season with Phoenix. So just something to keep in mind as you're listening. I think almost all of what we said still applies, but if certain things seem a little dated or, or certain things are not addressed, that's why. But otherwise, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Namchak. He's Stephen Trinkwald. And Stephen, today we are kind of deviating from the norm a little bit. We're doing a fun little exercise. We are looking back at the 2014 WNBA draft and do a little bit of a redraft exercise. Yeah, we wanted to do this one for a few reasons. First, you know, most of these players that had kind of any sort of career in the W are still in the league, kind of hitting their prime. And the top of the draft is not as chalk necessarily in terms of how the players actually panned out as some of the other recent drafts where the year before 2013, the top three picks in that draft would still go in the top three if we were to go over this exercise. So we thought this was a fun one just in terms of, you know, how this would shake out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I feel like this is going to make for a, a fun exercise, some fun content, just taking a little break from the, from the deep dives and the X's and O's and what have you. And yeah, you know, there's, there's still some room for, uh, for some discourse on some of these players. And also these players, it's recent enough where some of them still may have not reached their full potential. And then also, you know, I think Steve and I, we both have different, might have some different approaches here. So Stephen, would you like to, before we get started here, kind of break down what happened in the actual 2014 draft? Yeah, sure. So I'll just kind of run through it real quick. The first round, uh, Shanae Agumike, of course, was the first pick in the draft that year. Uh, Odyssey Sims went second. Kayla McBride, Alyssa Thomas, Natasha Howard rounded out the top five, followed by Steph Dolson, Bria Hartley. Shoni Schimmel uh, was number eight. Natalie Achanwa, Markeisha Gatling was the number 10th pick. Uh, Chelsea Gray fell all the way to 11th, and Trisha Liston was the final pick in the first round. And there are also some notable second and third round picks. Would you like to maybe make a mention of a couple of those first? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan Hooper was the first pick in the second round, uh, played all but two games in her first three seasons for the Tulsa Dallas franchise before kind of bouncing around a little bit in 2017 and uh, hasn't played in the W since. A Stu and Dew was taken in the, with the fourth pick in the second round, you know, has played four seasons in the W so far, a couple years where she didn't come over in 2015 and 2017. Uh, I really liked her as a starter last year after Gentile Lavender went down with injury. You know, I think she's a solid player who has really kind of carved out a nice role. Tiffany Bias was taken right after a stew, has kind of played sporadically over her four WNBA seasons. Uh, Maggie Lucas was taken with the ninth pick in the second round. Played a lot early in her career with Indiana before playing time became a little bit more sporadic for her as well. Played as recently as 2018 when she played seven games for Atlanta and one game for Dallas. In the third round, we had a couple notable names as well. Teresa Plaisance was the third pick in the third round. Has played in the league every season since she was drafted. Has played mostly consistent minutes for the Tulsa-Dallas franchise before, of course, a midseason trade to Connecticut last year. Sixth in this class in games played. Steph Talbot was the ninth pick in the third round. Didn't come over until 2017, but that was still only her age 23 season, so a, a bit younger than some of the other players in this draft. Jameera Faulkner was the 10th pick in the third round, played all but one game her first three seasons in the league before, of course, missing the 2017 season and battling some injuries since then. And then Asia Taylor, the final pick in the draft. 
once again, just to reiterate, there is a lot of WNBA talent there. And there are kind of a lot of interesting storylines concerning what people were thinking before the draft, how they thought the players were going to pan out, and how versus how they actually did pan out. And one thing that really stands out to me right away, looking at the, uh, the Wikipedia page, because Wikipedia never lies, uh, there is a lot of gold here. And gold means all-star appearance. This is a pretty solid draft. Yeah, eight all-stars in the class. Just really a stacked class. Also had some all WNBA talent as well. Chelsea Gray, Natasha Howard, and Odyssey Sims were the all W players from this class. Gray and Howard were first team all WNBA in 2019. Sims made her first appearance on the all W team on the second team in 2019. Uh, Chelsea Gray was also second team in 2017. And Natasha Howard, of course, the reigning defensive player of the year as well. Want to get into how we will be approaching the actual redraft exercise itself? Sure. So I think rule of first rule of thumb here is that uh, we're kind of going to be quote unquote redrafting based on kind of more individual stuff, you know, like what each player has accomplished, what we think each player will continue to accomplish. Obviously there's a lot that goes into each coach and GM's mindset on draft day, especially concerning, you know, like injuries, international player status. Let's be honest. We would be here all day if we took that into account. So we're just kind of going to be riffing about these, these players individually. Also just a quick note, Back in 2014, the Las Vegas Aces were in San Antonio. They were the Silver Stars. And the Dallas Wings were in Tulsa as the Tulsa Shock. Steven, you have some notes here about your individual process, how you approach this exercise. Would you like to kind of break that down a little bit? Sure. And just evaluating these players and figuring out my order for this list, I put a lot more weight on what I sort of considered as championship upside So I'm a little bit more forgiving for a player that maybe took a little bit longer to find their stride in the league or maybe missed significant time due to injury. If when they are at their peak, they are going to be a high level contributor in a five game playoff series. I will maybe gravitate a little bit more, you know, try not to spoil anything, but to a player that has say two spectacular seasons and a player who has been solid for for five years. So a little bit more weight on the upside plays there. And there are plenty of both players in this class, which is what is going to make this such a fun exercise. And also, uh, no spoilers, Steve and I, while we do take copious notes uh, for each of our little episodes here, we do not, we have absolutely no idea what each other, what we're going to do here. So, um, Oh, that's a, that's a good point to mention. You know, usually we are sharing one show doc for, for all of these, but we have not seen each other's lists. Right. So we might agree, we might disagree, we might have a knockdown drag out over the value of Alyssa Thomas. I I don't know what's going to be in store. So uh, you want to get into it? Sure. Would you like to pick first or second? Uh, I would love to pick first. So honestly, this one, (laughs) I don't think this one is very difficult. Uh, You might disagree, but I have to go with Chelsea Gray as the number one overall pick. Some context here. She did have uh, some fairly major concerns actually surrounding her, the health of her knees at Duke and coming into this draft class. She actually sat out her the entire 2014 season before coming into the league as a rookie in 2015. So that really says all you need to know about how coaches and GMs were viewing her status as a potential injury risk. However, that never really became much of an issue. Uh, she has blossomed into, at worst, the top three point guard in the league. I would say top two. Been an all-star in each of her past three seasons. She's really come into her own for the Sparks. I think it's undeniable what she what kind of talent she brings. And she's still, you know, not even in her 30s yet. So she's definitely a championship level starting point guard at a premium position. So at number one, I'm going with Chelsea Gray. What do you got? Yeah, she was number one on my board as well. In my opinion, the closest thing 
in this class to a franchise player. You know, as you mentioned, missed her rookie season with the knee injury, came off the bench for her first two active seasons in the WNBA, was seventh on the team in, in minutes for that 16 Sparks team that won the championship, but was their, their sixth player, you know, come playoff time. So took over as a starter, of course, in 2017 after Tolliver departed in, you know, in the regular season, at least the Sparks didn't miss a beat. They were a 9.1 net rating in 2016. They were actually um, better in 2017, up all the way up to 10.6. By 2017, her fourth season in the league, she was leading the team in minutes. So she's been a star ever since. And, you know, as I mentioned, the closest thing, in my opinion, to a superstar in this class. So Number two, I'm going to have to go with Natasha Howard here. Was a first-time All-Star last year, the reigning Defensive Player of the Year as well. 2018, most improved player, two straight all-defensive teams for Natasha Howard. Of course, not really a factor in the league. Her first four seasons or so, you know, went from playing about 13 minutes per game in the 2016 playoffs with Minnesota to five minutes per game in 2017 after Minnesota brought in a 35-year-old Planet Pearson, at worst, I think she was maybe the third best player on the 2018 championship at Seattle Storm. Obviously, she's not the best center in the league, but I would say she probably has the most modern, versatile game of any center in the WNBA. You know, can score inside, can shoot the three, can take it off the dribble. Defensively, she can guard down low, can switch on the perimeter as well. The only player in the league last year in top 10 in both steal rate and block rate. So I had her kind of firmly at number two. Uh, what do you think about that? I agree with you. Okay, so we're two for two on agreeing so far. I don't expect that to, to remain the case. But yes, I also I also had Natasha Howard at number two. Uh, she has an interesting story. You know, she didn't really play that often in, but for the Indiana Fever. Then she went to Minnesota and I think became a very solid bench player for them. But man, once she went to Seattle, she just took off. She She's always been a player who's had a lot of potential, I think. You know, just based on her length and her athleticism, her skill with the basketball. But you, you made a point that I wanted to make was that she's in a post-Tamika Catchings era. She's maybe the only player in the WNBA who can combine steals and blocks. Maybe someone like Candace Parker or Neka Bumake as well. But like she will consistently go out there and make play after play for you on defense, despite not really being an overwhelmingly large player. So you had it exactly right. She's a great fit for a modern team, both on offense and defense. The most improved player in, in 2018, defensive player of the year in 2019. Her resume since going to Seattle speaks for itself, and she just continues to get better. I think when you talk about players who can be starting on a championship team, after Chelsea Gray, the first player that will come to mind from this draft class is Natasha Howard, just because she can just do so much for you, and it seems like she's still continuing to get even better. So yeah, I think Natasha Howard is a pretty clear-cut number two. Who did you have for the number three pick in this draft? Okay, all right, this is where I'm getting a little scared. I had Shanae Agumake. Uh, wow! Yeah, I know, I know. So a couple things I, I want to kind of get out of the way here. Shanae did not have her best season last year with the Los Angeles Sparks. She never really got going in a bench role. I mean, if you're putting her in against opposing benches – you're probably winning that matchup nine times out of 10 because she's still Shanae Agumake. You know, she, she has missed some time in her career due to injuries. She missed 2015. She missed 2017. But I think this is a, she's a player who's going to come in and you know what you're going to get pretty much every single night. And that's efficient scoring from the field. Apart from her down season last year, you know, she shot nearly 54% as a rookie, 59% in 2016, over 60% in 2018. She's a good rebounder. She's, 
maybe not an elite defender, but she's versatile enough. And I think that she, once again, can be a starting player on a championship caliber team. Los Angeles, she's just in a situation where there's generational players playing in front of her. And also, so you kind of get that plug-and-play ability. Of course, you know, maybe the injury stuff is a little bit of a concern. She did play just 21.8 minutes per game last season. But again, you look at who's playing in front of her. You got her elder sister and Candace Parker. So Shanae is, I think, a safer pick here at number three. But it's not like she's a low ceiling pick either i'm guessing you disagree and i think i know who you're going to pick at number three well before i get to who i would have at number three i had shanae gumake seventh on my board really Um, yeah i i think i disagree with you a little bit in that she could be a starting player on a championship team i actually think like if she can kind of figure out the role being a, a bench center is kind of a perfect opportunity for her she's a super efficient offensive player. Everything is, of course, around the basket. Plays with a very high motor, you know, really hustles for loose balls. A defensive playmaker in terms of her steal and block rates. Started for a very good Sun team in 2018. But, you know, when it came down to brass tacks, she came off the bench in their playoff loss because she just doesn't have the size to match up against some of the biggest centers in the league. Okay. You know, kind of a higher fall rate, perpetually toward the top of the league and getting her shot blocked you know, not really a threat from any further out than, you know, maybe the elbows or so. Tried to kind of space the floor a little bit more in LA and it it just didn't really work out. But how much of that is really her fault? Played 75% of her minutes last year with either Kalani Brown or Neko Gumake on the floor. And and both of which, you know, those players are the best around the rim. So, you know, just due to, I guess, her, her slight frame and her offensive limitations while she is a very efficient offensive player and doesn't play outside of her game. I I just had her a little lower and I don't really think she could be a starting big on a championship level team. Okay. So you, you mentioned before you kind of use this process, your your process making picks here is that you say you gravitate towards a player who has, you know, two spectacular seasons rather than someone who's been solid for five. So do you, do, are you not sold? Do you think Shanae Agumake is like a finished product then? I don't really think there's too much more upside for Shanae Agumake to, to improve. I mean, I think she could, as everyone can, as they start to play in the league for longer, I guess, develop certain things. But I mean, what, what more upside is there for Shanae Agumake to reach as a basketball player? Well, I mean, I think the, the one thing you got to look at is, a, is an outside shot. It's something that her sister Naka developed as she kind of evolved her game. However, I agree that that's not something that that's something that you kind of ideally want from every starting power forward, but you're not going to necessarily get from every starting power forward. So I understand the, the trepidation. I understand your your hesitancy. So with the number four pick, I'm going to go with Alyssa Thomas. Uh, would have had her at three, two-time All Defense has been arguably the most consistent part of a Sun team that's been in at least the second round of the playoffs, the last three seasons, of course, made the WNBA Finals last year. A top 10-ish player, in my opinion, was arguably the best player in the WNBA Finals last year. A super versatile defender, a transition offense within herself. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we did the Connecticut Sun episode. I think, actually, the number three spot was sort of the hardest for me. And, And, of course, I'm taking Thomas at four, but this position was the hardest for me deciding between Alyssa Thomas and the player I had next on my board, Kayla McBride. You know, McBride is a more versatile player offensively, to be sure, can guard multiple positions. But, you know, Thomas can just take over a game, in my opinion, in a way that we don't often see from McBride, getting in the passing lanes, turning defense into offense, wearing out the other team with just her uh, relentless effort and constantly running in the transition game. And there are offensive limitations, but I think we have seen that, you know, you can be a championship caliber team with Alyssa Thomas as your power forward. 
Yeah, I also had Alyssa Thomas at number four, so we kind of get got back on the right track there. I definitely agree that she's a player who you can build a team around. The only thing I have to say here is that the offensive concerns are just very concerning for me. It's like, I mean, we talked about this plenty on our Sun overview. It's like you have to be able to play with pace if you're playing Alyssa Thomas because she's, we call that the Alyssa Thomas conundrum, right? You know, she she's so good in transition. She makes a team in transition, but she can also severely limit what you do in the half court if you don't surround her with the right amount of talent but as a defender I mean you're right on the money there Steven she's so versatile she's so strong and there's another thing like I know we I know we said we're not taking pre-draft injuries into account and this wasn't a pre-draft injury but how would she have panned out if she wasn't dealing with this well-documented shoulder issue she's right now just a bull in a china shop who's who's getting by who's who's making these elite level plays time and time again when she can barely lift her shoulders, her arms over her shoulders, right? So, yeah, I, this is this. It's a player who I think she does have maybe even more upside than what she's shown. I would say it does seem like she continues to get better, and the defensive playmaking is certainly there. It's it's a very uh, it's an interesting pick for sure. I I don't think she's any lower than number four in this class, though. No way she's lower than number four. So. I mean, I don't want to get too bogged down, you know, standing for Alyssa Thomas. Everybody knows how I feel about Alyssa Thomas. But you, you mentioned the, um, the offensive concerns and the spacing limitations. I mean, in terms of, like, how that applies to Alyssa Thomas, in, in what ways does that not, not apply to Shanae Gumake? But Thomas also kind of brings with her the transition offense and the, the passing. Fair counterpoint. Shanae, neither of them really have the outside game, but actually, like, Alyssa Thomas, knowing that she will not – take that outside shot. I mean, it's probably better than, you know, Shanae taking that shot time and occasionally and, you know, not really being a high efficiency player from out there. I mean, you're right. You're right. I guess I'm thinking of Shanae as more of a traditional power forward type of player, but Alyssa Thomas, her skill set is so unique where you can play her at the four, maybe even a small ball five and really create some mismatches out there. So, okay. I, I can see where you're, you're coming from on that. And to be fair to you, Shanae definitely does give you a little bit more size against some of the bigger power forwards that maybe Alyssa Thomas has had some trouble guarding, you know, the Asia Wilson, Elena Deladon types. But I think at the four, Shanae just kind of has, you know, she's more of a four defensively and a center offensively. And you could certainly say the same thing about Alyssa Thomas with her spacing limitations, but I think she brings enough kind of other things to sort of make up for it. Fair point. I, uh, may I move on to my, my pick now at number five? Please do. I'm going with Kayla McBride. You talked briefly about her limitations, and I, I mean, I agree, but she's a really freaking good shooter. She's actually come on as more of a three-point shooter in previous seasons than when she was playing in San Antonio. But, I mean, you really can't argue with what she's done since the franchise moved to Vegas. She's been in the top ten in three-point field goals in three of her seasons in the league. And it also feels like she's kind of been used in Vegas just as like a three-point specialist, at least under Bill Ambeer. I mean, she scored over 18 points a game in 2018, but then in 2019, obviously they ran so much more of their offense through the post with Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage, which is, un- which is totally understandable. I mean, you have those players, you want to use them. But I feel like Kayla McBride, you know what you're going to get from her, and that is a player who's terrific at coming off screens. She's got great mechanics on her jump shot. She's got both a mid-range and a three-point game. And that's that's a seal that's at a premium. If you can get a player who can consistently knock down a three-point shot like that, you can run plays for her or not. I mean, she's not a player who, you know, you need to run plays for. I think she's really good at moving up the basketball as well. And she's also, you know, she's a very good free-throw shooter. She doesn't get there that often, but she's at nearly 90% for her career. So I think Kayla McBride is a – she's a good compromise between safety and potential at number five. Would you agree with that? 
I think Caleb McBride could definitely be, you know, a high level contributor on a championship team and expect her to be a high level contributor on a championship contender. Next time we see WNBA basketball, you know, her and Chelsea Gray, the only three time all-stars in this class, as you mentioned, took on a little bit of a smaller role in 2019 with Vegas bringing in Liz Cambage has been a well above average offensive player. As you mentioned, a super versatile jump shot. You know, you could pretty much stick her on any team in the league and they would be better. There would be no sort of adjustment period or or change of sort of scheme that might be required for the two players that were picked above her in this exercise. Just about as pliable as as a player can get in the WNBA. You know, maybe positional scarcity uh, could have served as a tiebreaker for her over Alyssa Thomas or Shanae Agumike. You know, McBride is a very solid offensive player, very solid defensive player, a very accomplished player in this class and, and definitely no slight at all by her being fifth in this. Where, where did you have her on your board? You know, I had had some difficulty deciding between her and Thomas, but I did not have any difficulty deciding between her and the next player, uh, who I will take at number six. I have Odyssey Sims, you know, a first-time All-Star in 2019, 2019 second-team All-WNBA. Really the last player on this list, at least in terms of um, active WNBA players, who can kind of get their own bucket, a valuable contributor to the 2017 Sparks team, that made the WNBA finals, but also well below sort of their top four in terms of minutes, you know, Parker, Gwen McKay, Gray, and Beard. A slightly below average player in terms of her efficiency for most of her career, save for that one season in LA when she was just kind of surrounded by uh, a bunch of talent. Leads this draft class in minutes played up to this point. And, you know, usually I uh, encourage perimeter players to shoot more threes, but maybe Sims should just kind of cut that out of her game completely. You know, 25% on threes on 443 attempts since managing to make almost 35% her rookie season. But, you know, she gets into the paint and into the rim just about as well as any other WNBA guard. Almost 60% of her shots were from within nine feet during her LA days. You know, that dropped off a little bit in Minnesota, taking on probably an outsized role, but still, you know, very good considers herself a point guard, I think, and nominally a point guard, but I think of her more as a two guard. I don't know about you, but I don't think she's particularly a deft creator for others, but can certainly get her own shot and penetrate into the the paint and was a considerable degree above the rest of the players I, I considered in this class. Sure. That's fair. And I do agree. Um, she's probably more of a, actually, now that I think about it, I'm not sure if, She's much of either a point guard or a shooting guard. I think she's just more of a combo guard. And I mean that in that she's maybe not the the distributor that you want out of a point guard, but she's not the – she doesn't really have the scoring efficiency you want out of a shooting guard either. As maybe like a six-woman type of player, yeah, I'd love to have Odyssey Sims on my team because you're right. She can come in. She can get, you know, four or six points, maybe eight points in a row, no problem. She can get her own bucket. How efficiently she gets her own bucket is another story. I would agree with you in that I'd like to just see her focus on getting into the paint and getting to the rim and maybe distribute, you know, kicking it out more often rather than trying some of these really acrobatic, weird finishes or settling for the three-point shot, which she has not been very good at throughout her career, save for her rookie season in Tulsa. Sims, I think, is I've, I've kind of been disappointed in how she's developed as a player, honestly. I was She was one of my favorite players to watch at Baylor just because of her ability to carry she really carried that offense once Brittany Griner graduated I mean that team she was such a she was such a explosive scorer she was drawing fouls at will getting to the rim at will getting wherever she wanted to on the floor but the 
efficiency never really took off in the WNBA. Maybe it was because she wasn't getting the fouls she was used to getting, although she did average, you know, over six free throw attempts per game in 2015. We know the fouls have been steadily declining over the years since like 2015, but uh, you know, she made the all-star team last year, but I think she was kind of a fringe all-star. I'm just not sold on Odyssey Sims being a starting caliber player on a contending team. Is she a first bench, first player off the bench type of player? Absolutely. I just expected more out of her. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, she was a contributing member of a, a team that did make the WNBA finals, but I totally understand what you're saying just in terms of her overall game, not sort of developing in the way that um, somebody who watched her a lot in college, maybe kind of expected it to, or at least was hopeful to, but you know, for me, she was still kind of, there was a clear demarcation between her and the players below her. That's fair. And, and before we, before I move on here, one more point I want to make regarding her college career. I don't know if for y'all listening, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, players who play for Baylor usually look really, really good for Baylor, but not all the time does that translate to the WNBA. Steven, have you kind of noticed that from Baylor products? Like you've got, you know, Kalani Brown, Odyssey Sims, players like that who really, really excelled under Kim Mulkey at Baylor, but then they come to the WNBA. It's like, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, in terms of Sims, you know, I didn't watch her in college. Brown, I'm not quite ready to give up, you know, give up hope on her yet. Do I expect her to be a high-level starter? You know, probably not, but I think she can definitely still be an effective player in the WNBA. So, you know, hopefully the same kind of can't be said about Lauren Cox, but, you know, it remains to be seen. Sure. Lauren Cox and Taya Cooper also in this draft. And also I forgot Chloe Jackson came out last year. She, uh, the sky drafted her. She did not that much before they waived her and she's not in a training camp right now. So that's just one thing to consider, but that's totally off topic. I had Sims at number seven on my board. So I'm just going to go with my, my next uh, ranked player. This is something I feel we're going to disagree on again. So we're on number seven. I'm going to go with Stephanie Dolson. Do you have a reaction? Or- so you had Dolson above Odyssey Sims. I did. Interesting. I had Dolson as the next player. I had Dolson above Shanae Gumake, but I also had Dolson in this spot. Okay. Well, I mean, you said there's a considerable gap between Sims and the next player, which would be Dolson. But so let me, let me at least make a case here. We talked about Steph maybe more than any anyone on our uh, Chicago Sky review, because she's just such an interesting player. Her deficiencies are obvious. I, I think, you know, we don't need to spend a half an hour talking about that, but she does bring some things that I'm not sure anybody else in this draft class does from the center position, of course. And that's, those are also pretty obvious, right? I mean, she, she can shoot the three, although she's more of a, like a system three point shooter, you know, she's like maybe a a trailer or or like a release valve, if you will, for a player who can get in the paint or draw a double team and then kick it out for a three pointer. She's a very good passer. She's a very good screener. Then again, she is going to be a liability guarding the pick and roll. We did talk about if Steph Dolson is your center, you're going to have to play almost exclusively drop coverage versus the pick and roll, which is pretty limiting. And then obviously she's not going to give you much of anything in transition other than maybe some good outlet passes. But, you know, at this range, once you get to like number seven in this draft, I don't think there's anybody who's clearly better than Stephanie Dolson. And I think the the train of starting players on championship caliber teams has left the station by now. So I'm pretty comfortable taking Steph Dolson at number seven. What do you think? Yeah, I had a note in here that I thought Steph Dolson was the last above average starter probably in this draft class. Okay. Uh, you know, a, a two-time All-Star, amazingly enough, in 15 and 17, a player, as you mentioned, we covered extensively in our recent Chicago Sky Outlook episode, a tremendously gifted offensive player, makes everything easier for the offensive players around her. 
with her floor spacing, her screening ability, her passing. Of course, a very limited defensive player. You mentioned the pick and roll, but also like uh, a little bit of a defensive liability in the post too. You know, not a vertical player, not really a threat to block shots. We'll kind of, despite, you know, having pretty good size for the position, we'll get bullied down there by the the bigger players and has a very high fall rate as well. So, you know, she is in a very good situation in Chicago and maybe would not be as effective in some other situations or in some other less motion-heavy offenses. But there are a lot of centers out there that wouldn't be as effective in this situation as Steph Dolson is. So it's a match made in heaven, in my opinion. And, you know, she is kind of more of a, a can't defender than like a won't or doesn't know how defender. You know, she does give good effort and she, she wants to be a good defender, but is just a little, you know, physically limited, slow foot speed, not a leaper. So, you know, this is, in my opinion, who I would have had at this spot as well. And one other thing I want to point out is that her rebounding numbers are not good, despite being like six foot four, six foot five. So that's that's another issue. Just the the, the athleticism just isn't there. However, I mean, look at what she did in twenty seventeen. She she averaged fourteen and a half points a game. She shot almost forty four percent from three point range. Age twenty five season, and that was with pretty good players around her, right? So that makes me hopeful, at least as a Sky fan, that Steph Dolson can get back to that point. Just if you know she's maybe featured a bit more prominently on offense or if she just gets a few more of those jumpers to fall. So yeah, yeah, number seven, I'm, I'm comfortable taking Steph Dolson. Number eight, this is kind of where I had a little bit of trouble considered three players in some particular order here. And I think um, any listeners kind of might get mad at me for this, uh, but I was, you know, having a really hard time on how I was going to order Shanae Gwumake, Bria Hartley, and Natalie Chanwa. Shanae, I, I did end up having the highest. She's off the board right now. So number eight, I'm going to go Bria Hartley. I don't have a ton to say about her, but she is a solid guard option. I think you could get by with her as your fifth best player or maybe even sixth best player on a pretty good team. You know, probably got a little bit overpaid uh, this past offseason by Phoenix, but I, I do kind of like her fit there as playing more of a shooting guard role than she did during some of her time in New York. And a very good shot profile for a complimentary player. You know, gets to the rim a decent amount, takes a decent amount of threes, and doesn't really do a lot in between. So she's not an amazing creator slightly below average efficiency you know she's a solid but unspectacular offensive player and a solid but unspectacular defensive player yeah yeah that's a good that's that's all fair and that's solid but unspectacular is probably the term i would use to describe Bria hartley's career so far i I had some high hopes for her coming out of the draft but she never really got past i mean you look at her rookie numbers 9.7 points per game 3.1 assists to to 2.5 turnovers 38% from the field. Like she never really got that much better than that, if at all, but she is somebody who can do a little bit of both for you as, as a combo guard off the bench. And yeah, I mean, she's a player who for sure you can, you can bring her off the bench and uh, add some, some depth to your backcourt. I honestly, I don't, I don't really have much to say about Bria either, but she's solid, but unspectacular. That's, I have nothing else to add to that. Great. Who do you have next? Okay. So I'm just going to take Natalie Achanwa then. I mean, I heard, I had her at number eight. This is another player who suffered an injury and she had to sit out the 2014 season, I believe. And the channel, I think, is a player who is kind of like a what you see is what you get sort of thing. She did take a little while to put up big or not even really big, but like starting caliber numbers in the WNBA. But I think she's she's okay for what she is. You know, she's an okay, she's a pretty decent rebounder. She can get some, she can hit the outside shot. She's not a three-point threat, but like maybe she can kind of massage her shot profile into developing that in in the future. I mean, she's still, I think she's 27 years old now, so not going to be a starting player on a contender. Although I think maybe she's, 
been a little underrated statistically because of what she's been surrounded by, or rather what she has not been surrounded by in recent years in Indiana. That has not been an offensive powerhouse, and she's kind of being asked to play a little out of position. I think she's pretty undersized for a center, while she's not going to be making many plays as a center either defensively. I mean, in no season did she average at least one block or at least one steal per game. So maybe it's been a little unfair to her. Maybe not. What do you what do you see out of Natalia Chanwa? Uh, Natalia Chanwa is a player that I like. You know, I when I was doing this exercise at one point, I had her above Shanae and Hartley. Thought I was maybe going to kind of have her at the top of the list, but eventually, you know, just kind of sorted it in a different way. As you mentioned, missed her rookie season due to the knee injury. Probably more of like a spot starter and a solid backup than a quality starting center or, or power forward in the WNBA. Just in terms of, in my own head, comparing her with Shanae gives you a little bit more size and spacing, but that is mostly from long two. Really just started taking threes this year and at a really low volume. But I do think it will be interesting to see how that continues to develop over the next you know, two, three, four years of her career. As you mentioned, not at all a defensive playmaker, but I think she just gives you a little bit more size, can guard down in the post a little bit better. But, you know, that's strictly as a post player, uh, more of a liability defending in space to be sure. And I just think that she maybe has a little bit more pliability than Shanae Gwumike due to her, you know, outside spacing. But this is where I had her as well, ultimately. So, yeah, we can move on. So, number 10, I had Steph Talbot. I think she's, okay. she's the better player than the players below her. You know, she's only played in the WNBA for two seasons. I mentioned she didn't come over until 2017, but that was still only her age 23 season. You know, she has a, a great modern skill set, definitely a three-point specialist. I was kind of considering her and Teresa Plaisance for this spot. And, you know, if you said that these two players are close enough to where Plaisance playing six years in the league and Talbot playing three uh, is enough to kind of have Plaisance ahead of her, I wouldn't be able to argue too hard, but I just think the positional versatility of Talbot as a, a wing player over Plaisance, you know, as a backup five, I guess, who can shoot the three a little bit more. You know, I just think that Talbot had a modest but important part of uh, the run that fueled Phoenix to being a game away from the WNBA finals in 2018. And I think it's easier for her to be part of something successful than it is for Teresa Plaisance. That's fair. Plaisance had a, had a chance to be part of something successful last year, but to be fair, you know, she had a, she was weighed down by an injury, but yeah, Talbot, once again, she provides a very valuable skill. She, no secret about it. She's a very good three point shooter. That's what she wants to do. Honestly, I have nothing really to add to what you just said because. What, what way did you have her on your list? I actually did not have her in the, in the, in the first round, but... Interesting, okay. I mean, it was a little... Uh, but I also had, had uh, another international player in the first round and another uh, maybe a little bit of a home run hit uh, for my last pick. So take that for what you will. Uh, but I can see your point, for sure. It's just maybe it's because she wasn't very... She's never been a very high-volume player. Maybe she's kind of slipped through the cracks as a... And also, like you, like you said, she's only played three seasons in the league since 2014. Then again, my other international player hasn't exactly been very consistent in showing up either. So, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, I can, I can definitely see the argument you're making. Um, but I also did not have Teresa Plaisance in my top 12 either. But I, I can respect your argument there. Yeah, interesting. I, I think it's a lot harder to order the, the bottom than it is the top, just because, you know, these players are all around sort of replacement level WNBA players. And I guess it just kind of comes down to is there one particular thing that they do well or are they just kind of more balanced overall or 
Did they have maybe a two-year run where they just looked phenomenal uh, earlier in their career before, you know, some weird things happened and they flamed out as, as a player? I'm sure we'll get to uh, momentarily. But who did you have uh, next on your board? Next on my board, I had a student do. And this is where, you know, it's like, well, what do you value the most? Um, she, like I said, she has not been consistent in playing in the WNBA. But, I mean, she did get to Chicago. She played both in 2018 and 2019, and then she got rewarded with a very nice contract. She's now with the Dallas Wings. Ndu is a player who I think uh, her upside is just so tantalizing. I can't, I can't pass her up at this range. Um, do I think she's going to be like an all-star caliber player? No, I don't. But you look at her, she's six foot five, massive wingspan, slight build, but she's also very skilled for the position. And she's also, you know, still 25 years old. So there's maybe some potential there that has yet to be unlocked. She just does a lot of things for you that I think are valuable. She can, her length is probably pretty valuable defensively. You know, she's not going to be going toe to toe with any of the big name post players in this, in the league, just because of her frame, but she can hit the jump shot from three point range. She can probably be a little more versatile defensively than your average post player, you know, just because of her length and the ability to move the feet. And uh, I think, you know, she was a big part of what Chicago did, uh, of Chicago's late season success after Jantel Lavender went down with a foot injury last season because she just gave him some different looks. You know, she's not a player who needs to score all the time to be effective. And that's something I, you know, we love talking about, you know, the Jantel Lavender long two-pointers. When that was eliminated from the, from the offense, I think it was kind of what shots Ndu didn't take compared to what shots she was taking. Those shots went to different players. She was just focused as like a, a high screener, but defenses still had to respect her because of her ability to hit the outside shot. So this is a player who I think, again, she just gives you a little bit of everything. If she shows up, I mean, that's, that's something that has to be considered, obviously. But what, what do you think about this? Yeah, a perfectly defensible pick. I had her, you know, one spot lower, but no real arguments here. You know, she's a, a good player that can certainly be a part of successful teams you know you touched on her her strengths well uh for number 12 you know i mentioned that i had plays zance but i'm actually going to go off the board and for the last pick in this draft i'm going to go with shoni shimmel ah. uh, the two-time all-star her rookie and sophomore year um a tremendous passer you know her i mean her highlights are, are about as much fun as, as any player you're going to find she just really will dime people up and throw some really fun passes Conditioning issues kind of plagued her entering the 2016 season before ending the season with a concussion. Never really the same effectiveness after Atlanta traded her away to New York. Uh, sat up the 27 season due to some personal issues and tried to make a short-lived comeback in 2018. Lasted just two games with Las Vegas, but just an incredibly gifted and exciting passer. And I think I would rather have those two seasons of Shoni Schimmel than anything that Teresa Plaisance has, has shown so far. You know, she was an effective three-point shooter. You know, never really got to the line could get to the rim okay but not great but just I think those two seasons were enough really and and maybe if you if things shake out a little bit differently she's still an effective player in the league and maybe at some point she'll she'll get back into it of course you know she hasn't aged out of the league too much yeah what do you think about that I did also have Shoney Shimmel at number 12 this is one of the most fascinating stories ever since I started watching the WNBA because she came into the league as a superstar and I don't mean in terms of her play Although she had, she was one of the most electrifying players, you know, as you described, she's both a tremendously gifted passer and shooter, but she also brought with her kind of this aura of, of greatness and swagger and 
kind of just like a larger than life story coming out of Louisville after their big upset over Baylor, the previous uh, NCAA tournament. But as you said, I mean, it was, it's, everyone kind of knows what happened after that. Her conditioning was never really up to par and then it just got worse and worse. And WNBA teams just kind of, just kind of fell out of favor with WNBA teams. It's, it's something that I'm going to keep coming back to as, as we talk about young players later, but you can't, you can't let up if you're a WNBA player as, as far as conditioning and, and keeping up with the game, because there is more and more talent coming into the league every single season. And if you don't keep up with it, you're going to lose your job. And I don't know, man, Shoni Schimmel her, for her first two seasons though, it's pretty sad to look back on it now, honestly, because she's, her shot profile is like a three-point special. I mean, she's the, she wasn't even just like a Parker in the corner three-point shooter either. Like, she was hitting them off the dribble. She was hitting them from deep range, from like, like logo range. She was assisting on a ton of her teammates' baskets. Yeah, she turned the ball over a lot too. But, I mean, her effectiveness as an offensive player, okay, defensively, we're just not going to talk about that. <laughs> because we all know. Like, but, yeah, I mean, she's just such a, like a one-way, exciting, electrifying player that had such potential coming into the league and flashed it right away. It's an up and down story with her, but when you're doing a redraft of the 2014 draft class, you simply cannot write Shoni Shimmel out of the narrative. I also had her at number 12. She was terrific for her short time in the league. Honestly, man, I wish we could, we could still have her in the WNBA. And you had mentioned on a previous show, Run With The Dream. Shoni Shimmel kind of embodies Run With The Dream in a lot of ways. That, that was another thing. And that was the Run With The Dream era. Like, can you imagine like a, a, like a modern day like with Shoni Shimmel playing alongside Tiffany Hayes? And then with, with someone like Courtney Williams, that team would be, oh my God, that would be, not that they aren't already, but that's must-see TV. That, again, I'm, I'm just disappointed that she, her career couldn't last longer. So were there any other players you realistically considered to crack the first round for you? Yes. Plaisance, I considered, I considered her, not for very long, but I did consider her. <laughs> um, just because, I mean, she has been able to, and in her defense, she has been able to carve out a role. She's played, what, like about 170, a little 174, according to basketball reference, games played six years in the league. For a third-round pick, that's pretty darn good. Obviously, coaches like what she, what she can bring, uh, and she does bring that stretch four, stretch five ability, which isn't going away as far as a valued skill. So that's someone I considered. I also considered Jamira Faulkner, and before you call me a Chicago Sky homer, she was in her athletic prime, a very good pace guard. Like she was probably one of the fastest players in the league. She contributed greatly to the sky's pace. And if you look at her advance and per 36 stats, she was a very, very efficient distributor. She could get to the rim very quickly, very easily. Never really developed that outside shot, unfortunately. And then the very sad story of her, you know, her knees just haven't been able to hold up since then. In her in her athletic prime, which was unfortunately taken away from her because of those injuries she was a very dynamic playmaker and someone I would definitely take coming off the bench how about you I also consider Jamira Faulkner you know I think she maybe had of the players remaining her 2016 season you know maybe the best remaining individual season probably out there 35.7 percent assist percentage which is pretty insane you know was right around the league average in true shooting that that one season never really got back there uh before or after so she was you know, other than Plaisance, who ended up not making my list, she was the one player who I seriously considered for a top 12 spot. Uh, you, you mentioned Maggie Lucas earlier in the show. She was, for the Indiana Fever, a good three-point shooter. And this is another player who I think injuries kind of robbed her of a successful WNBA career. 
I mean, I guess looking at the percentages, it doesn't really reflect it, but she was a player who you just could not leave open either in the corner. She's a very, she was a great shooter coming off screens, but again, just very sad story with these knee injuries. But yeah, that's, I think it's pretty clear cut after the top 12, you know, you've got Falk, you've got Plaisance, Talbot. How about, let's, let, let's talk for a second about uh, a couple of players who were drafted in the top 12 who didn't make either of our lists. I mean, I, I can't give you much on Trisha Liston or Markeisha Gatling, but you go ahead. So Markeisha Gatling, she was drafted by the Chicago Sky originally at number 10. Some historical context here, Sylvia Fowles was injured a little bit, so I think this was kind of a need pick. Gatling was a player at NC State. She was big, traditional, low-post player, very, very gifted toucher on the rim. She shot nearly 65% her rookie season, but she was a player who, again, conditioning was an issue. She was on three different teams in three seasons, so that's that kind of gives you an idea of teams, you know, not really trusting her. And she gave you nearly nothing defensively. Again, you talk about a player who you need to play drop coverage in the pick and roll. That was Marquisha Gatling. And I think her game as a low post player, it just, her, her game as a rebounder, she was kind of athletically limited because of that conditioning. She was big. She was skilled around the rim, but that was pretty much it. And then the other player, Trisha Liston, she was a very, very good three-point shooter. I mean, oh my God, she shot 44.1% from three in two seasons. But again, she just wasn't able to defend her position or any position. When you talk about a player who doesn't really have a position on defense, that was Trisha Liston. You park her in the corner, she'll shoot 40% from three. But as you can tell from her sparse playing time, Cheryl Reeve didn't really trust her. And again, that was the links in their prime. So she never really evolved past the three-point specialist role. I'd be very surprised to see her sign again in the WNBA. But Late first-round pick, you're kind of reaching fringe WNBA territory there. But as far as speaking this class goes, I mean, we had most of the players that were drafted in the first round still going in the first round. So speaking to our point about the overall talent in the top part of this class, I think it's held up. What about you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, a stacked class overall when you consider just the pedigrees of these players. Yeah. So is there anything that you really kind of wanted to conclude with here? No, I mean, this was a fun exercise and I'm sure we will do a few more of these as, you know, we continue to search for content in a contentless world. Yes, it's very sad right now, but, you know, we're still, we're still young. We're still a young podcast. We still have plenty of fresh ideas. So hopefully we can keep bringing that to you. As always, we appreciate you listening. Uh, I feel like this episode is going to, I don't want to say ruffle some feathers because that might be uh, helping us up a little bit too bit as far as audience is concerned. But if you do have an opinion, if, if you do disagree with us somewhere, we'd love to hear it. Hit us up on Twitter, Double Down WNBA, or individual Twitter accounts at Nemchuk E or at Trinkwald. As always, the podcast is on Google Play. It is on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe, rate five stars, give us a review. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening.